Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. Shout out your praise. We shout out your praise. 
Worthy is your name. 
Today I'm going to speak with you about a very uncomfortable and very heavy topic. It's a topic um, that some praise and others abhor. It's a topic that has divided families and ruined lives. It's a topic that is often shouted in women's marches but held secret in women's hearts. And of course, as you can tell, that topic is abortion. But today I'm not going to speak to you on the politics of abortion. I'm not going to spew judgment on people who have had abortions or even the industry that have created abortions. What I'm going to speak to you on today is the hurt of abortion from the standpoint of a woman who has been through it. You see, abortion doesn't just end a life. It destroys families. It steals the confidence of women. It steals fatherhood from men. And it truly divides communities. But God, right? <laughs> so my story might begin with darkness, but the hurt doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there because in that hurt, I was also confronted with the absolutely astonishing grace of God. So I ask you to buckle in, friends, <laughs> because I'm going to take you on a journey today. It's my journey. It's a little twisty and it's a little turny, tr curvy, but I promise you that God's grace is written all over it. 
So growing up, I grew up in a very Christian family. I went to church every Sunday for as long as I could remember. My parents were and are still together, and they supported me in everything that I did. I was a farm town girl, and I was a voice for life. I loved life. I spoke out on being pro-life. I had articles and stories and poems that were published in both our church bulletin and in our local newspaper. I was very proud to be a pro-life teenage girl. Yet at 16, I started dating a young man. Um, He was handsome and popular and athletic. He was all of these things that at that time, as a 16-year-old girl, I thought that I wasn't. And so this relationship became very important to me. And even growing up in a very Christian family and and parents that preached waiting till marriage to have sex, after only dating this young man for just about a month, not wanting to lose him, trusting him that he had my best interest in mind, and not wanting really to lose the status that I had in dating him, I decided to lose my virginity to him. And the saddest part about that, guys, is I was too embarrassed to tell him because he was so cool. So I lost my virginity to a man who never even knew, and it was never even a special thing for him. It was a traumatic relationship, a chaotic relationship. It was very unloyal. It was very um, verbally abusive, yet I still stayed with this man. And it was about three months later um, that I missed my period. And I don't know, I can't remember specifically if it was me that knew I needed to take a pregnancy test or if my mom had seen the signs. Regardless, it was my mom who bought the test for me. Um, and I'll never forget that day. I, I always say that of all of my high school memories, as sad as it is, this one will always be the clearest um, just because of what transpired and how my life changed on that day. Um, so I went, sorry. <laughs> always. <sighs> always. I was upstairs in our bathroom. We lived in a split-level house, and my parents waited in the garage um, for the results. And, of course, the test was positive, as I was pretty sure that it was going to be. And at that point, because we were part of such a pro-life church, I didn't know exactly what my parents' response was going to be, but I thought, they're going to know what to do. Like, they're going to support me. We're We're going to figure this out together. And so walking into the garage, I'll just never forget that scene because my dad's shoulders were slumped. My mom was, like, hysterical, and I knew at that moment that I had caught that. And so I told him that the test was was positive, um, that I was indeed pregnant, and just the destruction, um, the disappointment on my dad's face, like something you need to know about me. I was a daddy's girl. I still am a daddy's girl. My dad worked second shifts. I would wait for him every night for him to get off work so that we could watch episodes of Cops together. Like he was just my guy. And I knew in that moment, that disappointment on his face, that I wasn't his little girl anymore. I was his teenage daughter who had gotten pregnant and really screwed up bad. But the thing that I'll never forget, word for word, was what came out of my mom's mouth next and she looked directly at me and without any hesitation without any discussion she just said we have to terminate the pregnancy and that was it I there it would just kind of hung heavy there I think I was kind of in shock and the worst part of it was I was a cheerleader at the time there was a basketball game that night and I had to go and cheer and so we didn't even really get to discuss this further as a family I had to be ushered into my to my game and my parents as I said, they were supportive all through my life. And so they showed up to the game. They sat in the front row of the stadium. And every time I looked at them, I seen that destruction that on their face and knew that I had been the reason that I had put it there. I had never seen my parents like this up until this moment. And every time I looked at them, it drove a dagger into my heart. And I remember like I just couldn't cheer. I was like super peppy person at the time. I couldn't cheer. I wasn't doing the motions. I was just kind of like there. And at one point during the game, I looked up in the, in the stadiums and there were a couple of the popular girls and they were whispering to each other and looking directly at me. And in my heart, I thought, oh my gosh, they must know. And so I just remember putting on a mask that night, like, you know, like smiling and cheering my heart out. It was probably the hardest I ever cheered after seeing them looking at me and that judgment in their eyes. And it was a mask that wouldn't be taken down for a very, very long time. 
So we went to the abortion clinic, and I'll never forget this experience. It was a Planned Parenthood in Columbus. It was about a two-hour drive there. It was a terrible drive. There was nothing said between us what could possibly be said on the way there. Um, and as we arrived, there were picketers outside of the Planned Parenthood, and they weren't being terrible. They weren't being judgy. They were just simply saying, you don't have to do this. And I remember seriously one of these women, and I will never forget her face because she was such a warm-looking woman, like that type of woman that you could melt into her embrace. And she just looked directly at me and said, you don't have to do this, honey. And I just remember thinking in my heart, what else can I possibly do? Like, what, what do I do? Like, I had called the, the baby's dad after the game and told him I was pregnant. He he ghosted me. I never heard from him again. Like that was, that was the last thing. He didn't want to be involved in the mess. My parents weren't in support of me being a pregnant teenage girl. We had to keep up the good Christian family appearance. I had no other choice. And so I was kind of ushered in by some of the Planned Parenthood staff and filled out some minimal paperwork. And um, when we were there, we had to be seen by what I guess would call, Planned Parenthood would call their counselors. And there were two women in the room. At one point, I had to be separated from my parents. And the only thing that I remember them asking me is, we just need to make sure this is your decision. And again, my exact response to them was, I don't know what else to do. And there was no counseling. There were no options given. There was nothing. It was just them writing in their notebook and sending me up to the next level. And I don't remember the procedure. I remember the doctor trying to make it light and telling jokes and all of this ridiculous stuff. I remember how the words they used to describe this process that I had done was called a DNC. And they said, we're just cleaning out your uterus because that sounds a lot better than sucking a, sucking a fetus out of your womb, right? So even the words they choose to use try to make you feel a little bit better about what you're doing. But I will tell you, there was not a doubt in my mind at any point in the stage that I thought what I was doing was right. And you will hear this from most post-abortive women. We know what we're doing is wrong. There's nothing that feels right about an abortion. It's going against the true nature of God to, to rip life out of, out of the mother's womb. So I knew it was wrong. And I remember waking up in the um, recovery room, room and there were like three or four other women in there. And it was so quiet. It was so, so quiet, like deathly quiet. Everybody knew. Everybody in that room knew. It was like just this like spirit of death in there. And I just remember thinking my parents walked me right in. Like they walked me right into this. And in that moment, I kind of lost that, that sense of faith that I had, that sense of trust that I had in my family and my parents getting home that night, I just remember going straight to our basement and just curling up in the fetal position and crying and crying and crying until I couldn't cry anymore. A little bit later, my mom came down to check in on me and she found me in a, in a, in a crying, sobbing mess. And, and I just looked at her and I said, mom, I just want my baby back. Even in that short time of being pregnant, I could feel an emptiness that was now in my womb. And she held me and she cried with me. And then we just didn't talk about it anymore. It was shoved under the rug. We were at church that next Sunday and everything continued as normal. Appearances continued as normal. All of those stories and poems and things that I had written that had been published that I had kept in my hope chest that I would like to pull out sometimes and look at, they were they vanished. My mom had in her attempt to protect me, she did it in, in love, but in her attempt to protect me, she took away a piece of me. Like this was something that was a piece of me that I was proud of. And in so doing, I lost some of my identity. The church that I attended at the time um, considered abortion an unforgivable sin. And at 16 years old, I felt that I was damned for hell. Like literally, like this is something that I could not earn forgiveness for. There's nothing that I could do. I was going to go to hell. 
And so that is where, that is kind of where I st- stood in my sin, in my shame, separated for God, because it was like, if he's turning his back on me, if he doesn't want me, then I don't want him. And that is how I lived my life. So after 18, after I graduated from high school, I didn't go back to church. I didn't want to go back to church. I didn't want anything to do with the church because I didn't, why, why would I, right? Like who, why, what would I, what purpose would it serve if I wasn't going to be accepted and loved by God? So I stayed. <laughs> in my sin and my shame for quite a while longer. It was when I was 28, married to that man over there who I absolutely love and supports me in in all of my messiness, um, that I find out I'm pregnant. Um, And I just remember I, again, was home alone. My husband was at work. I took probably three pregnancy tests. I was just overwhelmed with emotion. I called my husband on the phone. I called my parents. I called all my friends. I called everybody I could think of. And everybody met me with joy. There was so much joy over this pregnancy. And I just remember that night on what should have been one of the happiest nights of my life, I just remember laying in my bed and thinking about that 16-year-old girl and that child that never was and just crying out to him, I'm so sorry that nobody was happy for you. And so what should have been one of the most exciting moments in my life, exciting times in my life, turns out I was pregnant with twins, and they're beautiful, by the way. But I knew because I felt this life growing in me, and it really revealed to me what I had done all of those years ago. So the word tells us that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And up to this point in my life, that is exactly what he had done. But we know the rest of that verse, right? You just said it earlier, so I thank you for that. We know that Christ comes to give life and to give it abundantly. And that's exactly what he was about to prove to me. See, even when I turned my back on God, when I was like, forget you, God, I don't want you anymore, he never turned his back on me, and he was about ready to chase me down. I love this. I don't know if you can see Christ in the background, but every one of us has been that lost sheep, right? (laughs) Every one of us has been that one. And he chases us down. So at 33, I find myself in a severe mental health crisis, and really darkness is the only way that I can explain what was going on in my life. It was affecting my family very severely at the time, and um, after a a really nasty panic attack, I was like curled in the fetal position on my bathroom floor, and I just realized I can't do this on my own anymore. I need something bigger than myself, and I gave my life to Christ on that night because of the darkness that God allowed in our lives. He does allow us to go through bad things, guys. (laughs) I just want, want everybody to know that. And so I went to my husband after giving my life over to Christ. And I said, babe, I think we need to go to church. I think we need to start going to church. And him being the amazing man he is, he supported me in that. But there was the thing, I I confessed immediately once turning my life over to Christ, I confessed my sin of abortion. And I knew, I knew as soon as I confessed it that God had forgiven me. But the thing was, I couldn't forgive myself because I feared that in forgiving myself of this, of this sin that I was forgetting my son and I wasn't ready to do that. But through that church, my faith in who I was in Christ was actually restored. And so I was able to take back that, that piece, that first piece that the enemy stole through this process that was going to help to put all the other pieces back together. So it was around seven years later, sitting at church one day, uh, when I heard about pregnancy centers for the very first time. The director of Abigail Pregnancy Services um, at the time was telling all about the amazing services that that Abigail provides. And I just remember sitting in my seat and thinking, oh my gosh, I bet there were pregnancy centers around me at the time of my abortion. I had never heard about them, guys. And at one point during her message, she abruptly stops. Like I was was really worried for the young lady. I was like, oh my gosh, she probably forgot what she was going to say or whatever was going on. But she looked out in the audience and she said, I just feel like I have to say this. She said, I want you to know that about one in three women in this country have experienced abortion. And of those women, almost eight 
80% are Christian. She said, statistically speaking, I know that there are women in this congregation today who have had an abortion. <laughs> and at this moment, I am like jumping out of my skin. I'm, I've already been so hurt by the church on the topic of abortion. And I'm just like, what is she going to say? What is she going to say? I was so nervous to hear the next words out of her mouth. But what I was met with was not judgment, but grace, because she went on to say, I want you to know that God sees you. He loves you. He forgives you. And there is healing for you. And that is the exact moment that my healing for my abortion began, because that church that had preached such judgment and hatred when I was 16. I now from the pulpit heard about this God that was going to forgive me even from my darkest moment and that he wanted me to be healed. So I got busy. <laughs> I, it was shortly after that, maybe about six months after that, that I began volunteering at Abigail um, as a receptionist. And about a year after volunteering at Abigail as a receptionist, I was asked to become part of Abigail staff. And this was such an amazing moment of, of repentance for me. And I just remember God being so present with me at that moment because I was overwhelmed with emotion. Obviously, I'm an emotional person, but he was so with me in that moment. And I had this flashback to that day when I was 16, when I was sitting in the abortion room. I remembered every detail, the picketers, the doctors, the recovery room. I remembered everything about it. And then coming full circle to this moment, and I just remember him whispering so sweetly and so distinctly into my spirit, I was with you then, and I'm still with you now, because God is faithful, amen. Even in our messiness and even in our darkness, he is faithful. And he wasn't giving up on me. He still had things to do. So throughout my time at Abigail, I grew stronger in my testimony. (laughs) Very strong. (laughs) I began sharing the herd of abortion and the healing power of God with everyone who would listen. I took every opportunity to present it to me, to to speak to different groups in our community, literally from like ministers associations to Girl Scout troops, anybody who wanted to hear about life. I I would talk to them about the beauty of life. And from Uber rides to revivals, I would not be quiet about abortion. I would share the hurt of abortion because the enemy had stolen my pro-life voice for far too long, my beautiful, powerful pro-life voice, and I was reclaiming that back. These are just a few pictures of some of the things, the walks for life and the different things that that I've been able to do since I, since I took that back from the enemy. And then something truly beautiful happened, and this happened just the summer of 2022. See, my mom had been watching all of this happen, quietly watching um, me share my testimony and me get stronger with my testimony. Uh, She really didn't talk to me much about it, though. But in summer of 2022, I believe it was June, we were out to Olive Garden. Uh, We were eating some appetizers, and I just remember her grabbing my hands (laughs) and looking into my eyes, and I thought, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Is Is somebody sick? What's going on? And she just looked deep into my spirit, and she said, Marlene, I just want you to know that I am so sorry for the role your dad and I played in your abortion all those years again. And I'm even sorrier for not being there for you afterwards. You guys, I honestly, like, you know how the song, some of the songs say you can hear the chains falling, like decades worth of, of just trauma from that, from that experience and decades worth of, of division that had come between my family was healed in that moment because I had found my pro-life voice, because I was willing to start walk, walking through the healing that God called me to, my mom was also able to heal. And what's even cooler... <laughs> is that my parents now support me in my ministry. So the parents who once drove me to the abortion clinic now walk with me for life. And that's that's them with with me and my my kids and my husband at one of our recent walks for life. (laughs) But he wasn't done yet. (laughs) 
So after, after joining Abigail's staff, shortly afterwards, I had asked um, my director at the time, I said, hey, would it be okay if I started an abortion recovery ministry? Guys, the funny thing is, I didn't even know what that meant. I had never heard of abortion recovery. I just knew it was something that the Lord had placed in my heart and something that he wanted me to do. And of course, she gave me her permission. She gave me her blessing. And so I got busy looking into it. And what's really crazy, I knew that I had to go through abortion recovery myself before I would lead a group. So I reached out to that director that had given that life-changing message for me all of those years ago. And the craziest thing was her pregnancy center that she was now with was just getting ready to start their own abortion healing. And so I was able to sign up for that group, immediately signed up for that group and began my healing. And I'll tell you what is really interesting about this. (laughs) When I walked into that group, I was like, I'm good. I work at a pregnancy center. I've done my healing. I'm good. I'm just here to learn how to heal other women. I was so, so wrong. God had so many things that he wanted to work in my life. So many layers that were going to be peeled back and so much more healing that was going to be taking place. He surrounded me with this group of beautifully broken women who I was finally able, that mask that I put put on all those years ago, I was finally able to take off because I was surrounded by women who shared my same hurt. And in those, in that healing, I also found like a new love, this new passion, this new obsession to want to help these women who had been so hurt by abortion. But he also brought into my life the woman who I now call a friend, who is my co-leader. And we would go on to start our abortion recovery group a year later. (sighs) So that group is also um, where God reconciled me to my son. And so I just want to share a little story with you. It's my favorite story. (laughs) And I'll try to get through it without being a total hot mess, but I'm just super emotional today. So here we go. On one of the final stages of healing, it's giving honor to your child by having a ceremony for them. And one of the things that you do is you, you, um, you pray to God. You ask God to reveal things to you about your child. And our leaders at the time had told us, sometimes God will tell you the gender of your child, um, give you a name for your child, and even possibly give you a vision for your child. And so I remember separating myself from the group and going in and, and getting ready to write this, this letter to my child um, and, and not knowing even where to begin. I'm just a sobbing mess. Of course, that's what I do. And just trying to figure out what would a 16-year-old girl in the mid-1990s call her child. I, for some reason, have always had this feeling that my child was a boy. I just, I knew it in that moment. But but coming in, into that moment and, and calling out to God and, and asking him, God, reveal this to me so that I can honor my child. And it was the most beautiful thing because he gave me this amazing vision that happy man that you see on the screen was one of the most important people in my entire life, my grandpa Walter. He gave me this vision of my grandpa, and I knew that even in this unwanted pregnancy, even when my parents weren't fully, wouldn't have been fully supportive of it, I knew that that man, that my grandpa Walter, would have been my advocate, and he, he would have walked with me through that pregnancy. And I knew having this vision of seeing my grandpa and my son, I knew he would have been my son's very best friend. And so I knew that I would have wanted to honor my grandpa in that child, and I would have named my son Walter. And so that is the name that I gave to my son, Walter Thomas, and that is the name you will always have. And now whenever I speak about him, I can give him a name. Our children deserve to have names. And that is, the, that is like I said, the man he was named after. Sorry. And then a year after completing my healing, my co-leader and I led our own group together where we were able to walk four beautiful women through the steps of surrender. It's powerful. One of the first things that we do 
is we share our story. And I will tell you something about sharing a story that you have kept. One of the women in our group had not shared her story with another person in 41 years. She had kept that secret to herself. There is a literal release that you can see when a woman is done sharing her abortion story for the first time, where they fall back in their chairs and their shoulders slump. It's that burden that they've never been able to share, that they've always kept hidden. All of these women have said, have stated they were pro-life at the time of their abortions. They were all Christians. They were all regularly attending church. One of the women's dads was a pastor. Like These are women who knew what abortion was and still did it, and that is why they'd kept it secret for so long, so worried of the judgment that would pass on them. We talk about the truth about abortion and the truth about the abortion industry, and this is often one of the hardest steps because we go over all the stages of life, and as opposed to board of women, woman, you know approximately the age of your child at the time of abortion, and what we do is we have fetal models, and we're able to see exactly what children look like through all of the stages of pregnancy. I know it sounds tough, but sometimes we have to really get that toughness in us. We really have to understand the darkness of our sin in order to understand the amazing grace of our God. And this is one of the toughest steps for our women. One of the other things that we do is we allow ourselves to feel anger. There is so much anger in abortion. And I, I want to talk about this just for a hot second, because a lot of times I think that, and I just had this experience with a client a few, a few days ago. He's like, I just want to support my girlfriend. It's her body. I want her to do what she wants. Let me tell you something. There is a lot of anger stored up in the hearts of women who say, I just wish somebody would have talked to me. One of the women, her best friends, drove her to the abortion clinic. She said she never once talked to me about it. She never once said, are you sure that you want to do this? It is not being hateful or judgmental to talk to, talk to a woman about her choices in love, to say, hey, honey, I know, that, I know that you're going through this, and it's tough right now, but you have time. First of all, breathe. Think what your life looks like in five years from now. That's the one thing that the abortion industry runs on, right? It's that fear and those lies, like you can't do this. You have to do it now. You have to choose now. And we're in such a, such a state of fear. And we know that people in fear don't make the best decisions, right? So it is not hateful or harmful. It is actually very encouraging. And who knows what difference you might be able to make just by confronting somebody in love with the choices that they have available for them. One of the other things that we do is allow ourselves to grieve, which I know sounds really weird. But one of the things that we've learned as post-abortive women is that we're not allowed to grieve our children because we chose to abort our children. But the one thing that I would ask then is if, who's, if we're not going to grieve these children, if the mothers of these children aren't going to grieve these children, then who are? We need to show our grief. We need to allow ourselves to go through these processes to grieve the children. And we honor our children. We honor our children by celebrating them with names, by giving them meaning, by, by allowing ourselves to mourn them and having a ceremony where we honor the children that were lost to abortion. And then, of course, we learn to use our testimony. And that's one of the things that I'm doing right here today. That's one of the hardest things for women to do because we know oftentimes we're going to be met in judgment. And that's on either side. We're either called baby killers or we're saying, oh, you're anti-feminist. There's no middle ground. It's, we're always being judged in some way. But one of the most beautiful things about walking through healing is that you know that there's only one name in your life that matters, and that's the name that God has given you, the name written in the book of life. And my name is forgiven. So I don't care what anybody else has to say about me. I know what name God has given me. 
You see, that fear that I had in the beginning, that fear that if I forgave myself, if I moved past the hurt to the healing, that I would somehow be dishonoring my son and forgetting my son was just another one of the enemy's lies meant to keep me in my guilt and in my shame because the actual opposite was true in moving past the hurt into the healing and allowing God to do that great work of healing in me. I got to know my son. I got to reclaim my son. I got to name my son. He gave me a vision of my son. I didn't choose this child, but God chose me to reconcile this child to me because that is how good and merciful our God is. You see, my son was never just a clump of cells, as we would like to believe. He was a beautiful, amazing, one-of-a-kind human being knit together by a holy God, and his life did and still does matter. And the most beautiful revelation that I've had through this process is that my son lives on in every encounter that I've had because of him in the counseling room where I counsel couples in, in this moment of crisis where they don't know what to do with pregnancies, when we're doing parenting classes, when I'm here speaking to you, I know my son is here with me right now. His memory lives on through what I'm doing because I wouldn't be here right now without him. His life did and still does matter. And his precious life is what gives me the courage to share my story in a room full of strangers. No offense, y'all are great, but you're strangers. And it's what enables me to call others to healing. So up on the board, you see, this is part of our ceremony is that we light candles. And so last May, this was, this was our last step in the process. And those six candles represent the six babies that were lost to abortion between my co-leader and I and the four women that we led into healing. So here it is. This is the total number. of legal abortions performed in this country just in 1995, which is the year that I had my abortion. See, I've been able to move on. I have been able to heal. I know that I'm loved and I'm forgiven. But I wonder how many of those women and guys, that's just, that's just the people that have had abortions. This doesn't speak to their parents, to the significant other. Studies show that men are severely affected by abortion. The fathers of these babies are severely affected. That is just the abortions completed. This number doesn't even represent all of the lives that were hurt by abortion. How many of them are still lost in shame and doubt in who they are? How many of them still feel like God has turned their back on them or that the church doesn't want any part of them? How many of these people have turned to addiction to numb the pain? We know that is one of the side effects of abortion. A lot of post-abortive women turn to drugs and alcohol to help to try to numb that pain. How many of these women still need healing? So I know, like that beautiful director told me all those years ago, I know statistically speaking, I'm not the post, only post-abortive woman in this room. And so I don't want to call anybody out. I'm not trying to make anybody feel awkward, but I just want to say to you that if you share the secret that God loves you, he sees you, he forgives you, and that there is healing available for you. Literally, I know a person. It's me. We're starting a group, another group in January, and I just pray that more women can come forward. I know it's hard. I know maybe you feel that there's nothing left that you have to offer or that too much has already been done. I've heard so much. I've heard so many things said from these women. One of these women called her, her womb a death chamber. We've given ourselves so many lies to, to keep ourselves in this shame, but I want you to know healing is available for you. And not only do you need to heal, guys, but we need to use, then go on to use our testimony testimonies. There are people that need you to heal so that you can share your story with them and they can be led into healing too. That's what our God does. 
So let me see. Oh, that, yeah, I want to show this slide because this is just the power, the healing power of Christ. So what the enemy stole and what God restored, um, it's just a little, just a little glimpse because he is so, he is so, so good. He is so, so restorative. He doesn't just leave us the way he found us. He restores everything and more. Our God is capable to do more, exceedingly more, to give us life and more abundantly. Don't stay lost in what the enemy has stolen from you when there's so much better. There's so much better that, that God desires for you. And so to close, <laughs> I want to read with you guys, with you guys, from Isaiah 61. These are actually the verses, powerful verses, uh, that were prayed over me as part of my healing journey, and that me and my co-leader also prayed over the woman that we led into healing as well. And they're powerful words. So in the spirit of healing, and this doesn't just go for post-abortive people, this goes for anybody. And like I said, we've all been that one. We've all been that one that God had just had to chase down whatever it might be. If it was adultery, if it was addiction, if it was whatever, witchcraft, I don't know what you have in your past. God does. But guess what? These promises are still available for you. And so I've left blanks where I would like you to fill in your name. And I would like for us to read this together in the, in the spirit of healing, guys. He wants this for us. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word is alive and active. We've got to claim these promises. They were written for us. If you don't think that the Bible was written specifically for you, I would tell you you're probably reading it wrong. <laughs> like our God is an intimate God. This is a love letter for us. And so if you guys want to read with me, let me find my little sheet. And just fill in your name where you see the blank. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is Christ speaking to us. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort Marlene who mourns, and provide for her who grieves in Zion, to bestow on Marlene a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Marlene will be called an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Marlene will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. She will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Marlene, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. I pray that you claim your healing today, guys. And I honestly, I'm going to leave some flyers with pastors. So if any of you have abortion, it hurt in your past, whether you were the father, whether you were the mother of the woman who had abortion, whatever your role might have been, please reach out. I would love to talk to you about what God has planned for you. Thank you, guys.